Don't you love North Dakota? I love North Dakota. I love the seasons. I love snow. I love blizzards and, and stuff like that. It's just, uh, uh, I couldn't imagine being living anywhere else or someplace where it's just, you know, 70 degrees every day of the year. I love when the snow comes down. Just beautiful. It says and talks about in the book of Job, have you seen, entered into the treasures of the snow? And uh, we get to do that here in North Dakota. For years, our movement of churches published a daily devotional. Many of you have read it. Remember, it was first called Daylight. Then later, years later, they changed the name to Faith Walkers. And it was written by pastors in our church denomination, our church movement. So I got to uh, publish a few of those, more than a few. Gene did a, a few as well. And you know how it is when you contribute something that you write and they you know, print up this quarterly edition? When it comes, the first thing I do is I page through it. I make sure that my entry was in there, or, or two, usually about two per, per uh, issue. And uh, then, then I'd also check to make sure not only did they publish me, but did they uh, edit what I wrote? Because I don't like being edited. And uh, most of the times they didn't, but sometimes, and my wife can, uh, can vouch for me that sometimes when, they, when I'd get a little edit, it wasn't grammar. I wouldn't mind, you know, if I did some stupid grammar mistake, but I didn't have many or any of those. But sometimes it'd be little edits, and I'd look at it and I'd say, did I really write, write it this way? I think, I think something's, something's askew here. And so I'd go back to, to uh, pull up on my, on my uh, uh, what I saved on my computer and I'd compare it. I'd say, oh, they made a little, little change here. And I just want to confess, that really irritated me. I don't like it when people edit what I write. But I kept writing and, uh, and writing and writing and, and uh, a whole bunch of those devotionals. And today we're going to talk about a man who was kind of like me in that respect, he experienced some frustrations when some of his written works were edited. <clears throat> this is week one of Christmas songs. This is Pat's brainchild, and it's a great one. He, he uh, suggested, let's take some well-known, meaningful Christmas songs and delve into them, how they came about and the scriptural truths that are brought forth in those songs. <clears throat> And we're going to take uh, one Christmas song a week. This week it's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And that'll be a song that we the song that we close with today as well. And before we look into the song, we're going to uh, draw a short, short sketch of its author. Anybody know who the author of Hark the Herald Angels Sing is? Charles Wesley wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Who is Charles Wesley? Charles Wesley was born, he's from England, he was born in 1707, 400 years ago, born in England. He was the 18th child, 18th child of Susanna and Samuel Wesley. 18 out of 19, he wasn't even the last born. There were she had 19 children. That's more than Schindler's have. It's more than uh, Schindler's and Dunham's put together. Out of those 19 children, only 10 made it to adulthood. 
Susanna West, Samuel Wesley was a minister in the Anglican Church way back in the 1700s. Susanna Wesley was an amazing woman. Some of you may have read her biography. She knew Greek, Latin, and French fluently, uh, besides her native English. And she taught all her children. She taught them at home. She spent six hours a day with her children. She was, and that was her, that was her career. That was her career. She raised all those children. She raised them for Jesus Christ. And moms, I just want you to know, there's no higher calling than raising and training your children to be lights for Jesus Christ. Susanna Wesley, mother of Charles Wesley, as she lay dying, these were among her last words that she uttered to her children. Children, as soon as I am released, sing a song of praise to God. And that's exactly what they did. Susanna Wesley's children were lights. John and Charles, as many of you know, they're founders of Methodism, a great movement of God in the Methodist church. They both preached. They first preached in the established church, and then at the urging of George Whitfield, they preached outside in the open air. And their preaching helped bring about the Great Awakening, a revival in the mid-1700s in Great Britain and in America as well. They came to America and preached. George Whitfield preached here. John and Charles Wesley preached here as well. It's noteworthy that a year after Charles Wesley died, he died at age 70, the bloody revolution in France broke out because they didn't have a Great Awakening like England did and like America did as well. <clears throat> England would have no such revolution. The preaching of these men laid the foundation for civil order. And that's always how it is. Where the, God, the light of the gospel goes, you have, you have prosperity and you have civil order. Likewise, our country, of course, founded on Christian and, and biblical principles as we were part of that great awakening as well. If John Wesley was the brains of the Methodist movement, Charles Wesley was the heart of it. He elevated and brought to the forefront the love of God, and he preached about that. And many of his songs and the poems that he wrote in, were involved with this theme. The hymns of the church in that day often were rather dreary, and Charles Wesley didn't like that. Charles brought light and life to church songs. He wrote this, why should the devil have all the good music? Why should the devil have all the good music? He wrote this in response to when he was preaching, a bunch of drunken sailors, could have been drunken somebody else, drunken sailors, they tried to interrupt his preaching by singing obscene songs while he was preaching. And he wrote this, listed in the, into the cause of sin, why should a good be evil? He's talking about music. Music, alas, too long has been pressed to obey the devil. Drunken or lewd or light the day, flow to the soul's undoing, widened and strewed with flowers the way, down to eternal ruin. Who on the part of God will rise? Innocent sound recover. Music in virtue's cause retain. Rescue the holy pleasure. Charles Wesley was 40 years old when he married. And his bride was Sally Gwynn. She was 18 years younger than him. 
just a little bit more about Charles' life. He wrote this on the day, he was a prolific writer, not only in verse, but in, in uh, journaling as well. He wrote this on the day of their wedding, not a cloud to be seen from morning to night. He and Sally spent three hours in prayer and singing before they proceeded to their wedding ceremony. And he wrote this, every evening we, ret we retired to pray together and the Lord's presence made it a little church. Charles Wesley wrote nearly 9,000 hymns. 9,000 hymns. For 50 years of his life, he averaged 10 poetic lines a day. If he was riding along on his horse, going to some meeting or going to preach, and a, and a, a song or a verse or a hymn would come to his mind, he would, he would stop at a nearby house and ask for pen and paper so he could write it down. 9,000 hymns in his lifetime. The greatest hymn writer in history. Next to him was Isaac Watts, but Isaac Watts only wrote a tenth of what Charles Wesley wrote. Here's a few of the hymns that you'll also recognize besides Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hymn by Charles Wesley. And he wrote this one, And Can It Be? He wrote this in 1838 to celebrate his conversion. And this one, for the anniversary day of one's conversion, we know that song as this, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. He originally titled it for the anniversary day of one's conversion. And then, of course, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So <clears throat> here's, here's where we're going to talk about this song now, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and how it takes off and how it, how it also intersects with my devotionals in daylight. Here's the original version that Charles, uh, Charles Wesley wrote. Here's the first verse. Hark how all the welkin rings. Glory to the King of kings. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. Universal nature say Christ the Lord is born today. Did you see a few verses, a few changes that have, from his original, some of the editing that had been done. First, how, the first line, hark how all the welkin rings. We don't recognize that word today. Anybody know what welkin means? It's this. It's an old English word meaning the vault of the sky <clears throat> or the vault of heaven. The vault of heaven making a loud noise. That's what the welkin means there. And then he wrote this, glory to the king of kings. We sing glory to the newborn king. He wanted glory to the king of kings because there's only one king of kings. He didn't write newborn king because a newborn king could be any king coming, rising up in the monarchy. We could sing today that about Prince William, newborn king or king to be. And then this one, universal nature say, Christ the Lord is born today. We sing Christ is born in Bethlehem. Question, where did these changes, these edits originate? It wasn't through Daylights. It wasn't through the editor of Daylights. It was none other than George Whitfield himself, the great preacher of that time, who himself enlisted John and Charles into open-air preaching. He made many of these changes. He was contemporary with John and Charles Wesley. But Charles Wesley was not happy with the, 
verses being altered. There was no such thing as copyright in those days like we have today. And Charles said he was okay with people making notes on the side and the margin or below. He just didn't want his verses and his words changed. This is lengthy, but here's what he wrote. Because they're already starting to change his, some of the words in this song and other hymns as well. He said this, I beg leave to mention a thought which has long been upon my mind in which I should, uh, which I should long ago have inserted in the public papers had I not been unwilling to stir up a nest of hornets. Many gentlemen have done my brother and me, though without naming us, the honor to repeat many of our hymns. Now they are perfectly welcome to do so, provided they print them just as they are. But I desire they would not attempt to mend them, for they are not really able. None of them is able to mend either the sense or the verse. Therefore, I must beg of them these two favors, either let them stand just as they are to take things for better or worse, or add the true reading in the margin or at the bottom of the page <clears throat> that we may no longer be accountable for the nonsense and the, or the doggerel of other men. I should have wrote that to the editor of Daylight. He didn't like his hymns to be altered, and I didn't like, I don't like my devotionals to be edited. <clears throat> okay, before we get to some of the scriptural lessons of this hymn, uh, the tune, the tune to which we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it's called, you know, these tunes have names, and the name of this tune is Mendelssohn. You'll recognize that as Felix, Felix Mendelssohn. He created this tune, Mendelssohn, this melody in 1840, long after Charles had gone to be with the Lord and George Whitfield as well. He wrote it in 1840 to commemorate the 400th anniversary of the printing press by Johann Gutenberg. So the name of the tune is Mendelssohn. Charles Wesley, George Whitfield had long passed away and it was left to another man to, to, to uh, forge those two, to merge the words and this tune that we sing it to now. And you know, in the end, it's appropriate that the words of a man who lived to evangelize the world for Christ, that was Charles Wesley, should be tied to a tribute written for a man, Gutenberg, who invented the method of mass-producing God's Word for all to read, the printing press. That's why, he, that's why he invented it. The Bible was the first book to be printed on this printing press. Now, some of the scriptural lessons from this great Christmas carol. And by the way, young and old alike, we do really well to familiar ourselves with the great hymns of the faith. <clears throat> Many great doctrines, orthodox doctrines, can be found in these hymns of old. Shortly after I was saved, I made it a point not only to memorize scripture, but to memorize a number of great hymns. And I would sing those hymns when I was driving, of course, driving alone, or if I was working and nobody else was around, I would sing those hymns. I, and I, I, uh, I want to add this too. I like how today, artists today, have taken some of the hymns and, and adapted them to their modern instrumentation and arrangement. And we do some of those in the church here today. Now for some of the Bible passages from which the words of Hark the Herald Angels sprang, uh, Sing sprang. 
First off, first verse, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Recognize these verses? Luke 2, 10 through 14. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I, give, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And also Hebrews 1, verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And then this phrase again, God and sinners reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5.19, that's where this comes from. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. <clears throat> and then this phrase from the hymn, late in, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Matthew 1 and she will bring forth a son, and you, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hailed incarnate deity. John, Gospel of John, chapter 1, 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then this part of the hymn, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, Light of and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Where did he get, the, where did he get that part of the hymn? <clears throat> Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then Malachi Chapter 4, verse 2. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Philippians 2, 7. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And John 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Again, John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace 
and truth. Lastly, this, Jesus, our Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This hymn and many other of Charles's hymns and others that wrote hymns filled with doctrine, filled with scripture. We can conclude that the real meaning of Christmas is this, God and sinners reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. We're going to pray, and then you're all welcome downstairs for lunch. And if you can't stay, if, you're, if you have to go home, you can still come down and you can fill a box, one of those styrofoam boxes with food. There's plenty of food down there, and you can bring some back as well. Let's pray. You can stand for prayer, and then the worship team will come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the scriptures highlighting him, elevating him, bringing him into our consciousness. We thank you for for revealing him to us who know him. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we sing this hymn in closing, remember all the scripture that it's filled with. We thank you for the great men who have gone and women who have gone before us and give us these hymns, these words today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.